Joining me now is former Houston Buff and St. Louis Cardinal Larry Miggins, one of the great characters in Houston baseball's long history. He's also been a major contributor to the book Houston Baseball, the early years, 1861 to 1961. Great to have you with us, Larry. And you're now a longtime Houstonian, but you grew up in the Bronx, New York, and you were the valedictorian at Fordham Prep. One of your high school classmates at Fordham Prep was Vin Scully. You and him both had big dreams at that time. Tell us that story. Well, we had an assembly when I was a senior at Fordham Prep. All the school got together in the assembly hall, and he was sitting right behind me. So anyway, he put his arms on my shoulder, and he said, Larry, someday you're going to be in the big leagues. And the first time you hit a home run, I'll be the announcer and tell the world about it. Well, I laughed about it, and I never thought of it much after that. But sure enough, 1952, this is nine years later, I was playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. wasn't playing regular. How could I? When I had two Hall of Famers playing for the two outfield posts, there was only one spot open, and everybody in the, in the, in the organization was vying for that one spot. So I played a little bit, uh, and... Uh, but I get up against Preacher Row. I think Eddie Sankey, the manager, figured this is big as his hometown. He must have all his friends and relatives there. He'll be up for this game. Let me put him in and see what happens. So they put me in, and sure enough, I hit one. I think it was the second time up against Preacher Row with a man on. Scully only had one or two innings to broadcast for Red Barber in those days because he was just starting out. But he had that inning, and uh, he talked about this story and related to all the people in New York. And I heard about it from other people. It was great. That's an incredible story because it was just in Sports Illustrated not too long ago. And as everybody knows, Vin made the big announcement this past year that this was going to be his last year. He didn't just become a great baseball broadcaster. He became the gold standard. Can you believe what's happened to your childhood friend? And can you believe he's still the Dodgers' voice 66 years later? Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And he probably could go on further if he wanted to. Because he still looks young and he's got the good voice. But after 66 years, <laughs> that's probably enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you were playing with in the minor leagues, you played also against Jackie Robinson in his first game with the Dodgers organization when he started with Montreal. What happened that day, April 23rd, 1946? Tell that story. Well, we were going over the hitters in the clubhouse before the game, and you take the scorecard and you go down the whole lineup, and it came to Robinson, and nobody knew Robinson. Never. They heard about him in the papers, but they never saw him play because he played with Kansas City Monarchs, I think, the year before. So the manager said, I want you batting practice, and he's a strong pull hitter. Miggins, I was playing third base. He said, Miggins, play him deep at third base, which I did. So the first time up, he had a ground ball and a shortstop, we threw him out. It's the last time we got him out. <laughs> Next time up, he hit a homer over the left field stands. So he was a strong pull hitter, and I'm playing him back. Third time up, he dropped one down, and he could bunt and I could throw. And I ran in, grabbed the ball through the first base, and just like that, he was safe because he could run, too. Fourth time up, he had a single to right field. So I guess it was three for four. And the fifth time up, I'm still playing deep. I don't know why I did, but I did. I never thought he'd bun again, but he did, and he beat it out. So he ends up getting four for five and leading the league and hitting. No matter how bad things might have gone with Jackie in his career, he could always look back to that opening day in Jersey City <laughs> when he got four for five. And he goes, Miggins played him deep. And he had a great start in the game. God love him. I'm very proud that he, he did so well and, and uh, that I played a small part in making him a top hitter. <laughs> 
<laughs> you turned him into a legend. Well, in 47, the Cardinals grab you in the Rule 5 draft from the Giants organization. You were a big enough deal that the famed New York restaurateur Toot Shore threatened to punch the Giants owner. This is from what I read. Horace Stoneham and the Giants manager Mel Ott in the nose because of all that. Is that a true story? I read it myself. I, I had never heard it personally from anybody, but I'm not surprised because Tuchel uh, was, was a great Giant fan, and he loved them. And Ott loved me. He and Hubble he used to take me aside when we trained down in, out in, in the uh, Rockefeller State down in, down in New Jersey uh, during the war. And he'd say, just let me see you swing. And I'd swing. And then Carl Hubble, let me see you swing again. So I'd swing. Apparently, I had, a, I had a good swing, and they loved it. They loved to see me swing to bat. The unfortunate thing about my career in baseball was I played eight and a half, almost nine years. But nobody, including Mel Ott or Stan Musil or anybody else who were great hitters, not one of them ever took me aside and said, Larry, you're trying to pull everything. Wait on that outside ball. Go the other way with it, and you'll hit a whole lot better, and you'll improve your hitting probably 50, 60 points. But nobody, I, I learned that later. When I was playing at Houston in 1951, I had 20, I think 28 home runs, the second league, home runs and RBIs. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because you had... Not just in 51, but you had three different stints in Houston with the Buffs, which is most people, as most people know, that was the Cardinals AA affiliate. And then in 48, as you mentioned, you've set the Buffs record with 21 home runs. What are your memories about playing for the Buffs in Houston at that time? A lot of people forget that there was this was the home of the AA affiliate for the Cardinals before the Colt 45s and the Astros. Actually, it was uh, 1949 my first year. In 48, I played Omaha. And I was in the league of home runs with 27 and RBIs with 90-some with about 30 games to go. And I would have led the league in everything. Hit 303, but then I got I was on second base, had hitting a double, and the guy had a single to left field. I came around third, and was standing up going home, and the batter who was coming up next to him told me to hit the dirt, and he didn't, and I came up standing standing up, touched home plate, and the catcher hit me right in the side of my knee, and almost broke my leg. So I I was finished for the year. I went, I went up to St. Louis, but I only got to bat one time because I couldn't run. What was Houston like at that time to play for the Buffs and, and to play around here? We drew well, and this was a great baseball town. It really was, and I loved it. I went to Columbus, Ohio in 1915 and had a year they should have put me in the big leagues. But there was no room with the Hall of Famers up there, so I, I came back to AA. Imagine that. From AAA... Lee, I hit 280, led the league of home runs and RBIs. We win the World Series against Baltimore, and I end up getting demoted from AAA to AA. Yeah, I want to just mention a couple. You mentioned the, how good the talent was in the Cardinals organization. You had the two stints with the Cardinals. That first stint, you just got one at-bat in 1948. What do you remember about that experience? Because on that team, if I have this right, there's Stan Musial, Enos Slaughter, Red Shandies, Marty Marion, Joe Ducky Medwick, and Joe Garagiola. What was it like to walk into that clubhouse with all those guys? Oh, no, they were great. In fact, Marty Marion picked me up every every day at my home where I was staying with a, a cousin of mine. He picked me up and took me to the ballpark and took me back every day. They were great, great guys, very warm guys. And I was in the family, even though I didn't play. 
that much because of my knee. What do you remember about Musial, playing with Musial? Well, Musial, you could look at Musial during, during the ball game and know he was, playing, he was playing baseball because he had an intensity about him that you could actually see in his face. You know, before the game, he'd be relaxing, playing music, making little drums or something in the clubhouse. But once the game started, he became somebody different. He was in the ball game 100% and a different person altogether. You could see it in his eyes when he came in from the field into the dugout. He just had a certain total concentration on baseball and what he was doing. And I never was that way, but he was. And that's why he, he was great. He was in the game 100%. In your second shot in the majors in 52, you get 96 at-bats. You hit 229. But you did have some success against one guy named Warren Spahn. Tell us what happened when you faced Warren Spahn. Warren Spahn was pitching for the Boston Braves. For some reason, I, I hit him pretty good. I hit a double off the top of the fence in, in Boston one night. I got a double. I should have a little another foot for a home run. And then I hit a home run off another time. So I had two home runs that year, one off him, one off Preacher Row. But I wasn't playing that much. Anyway, that's just what the big league was. But I got up there and I stayed for one year, which I think was great. It really was. So after you retire, you decide to come back to make Houston your home. And in 58, you were a part of a citizens committee urging the passage of a bond issue to build the Astrodome. If I have that right, tell me if I've got that right. And, and how did that all come about? Oh, I'm sure if it involved the Astrodome, I was involved because all the ex-ball players who lived there, and many of them did, were all involved in that with Hoffheitz. Hoffheitz was a genius. i never forget he had a model of the Astrodome made he was at the Shamrock Hotel, and he had a ball game, and he invited all the Hall of Famers that were available. Must have had 25 of them there. And paid their way in and put them up for a few days. And I got to meet them all, which was great. He was a great man. And if he was today, that Astrodome would be doing something. It wouldn't be just sitting there. There'd be live something in there somewhere, something, some kind of business or something, because he, he, he was a genius, no doubt about it. I loved him. Now, I understand that David Addicts used you as a model for the famous Sam Houston statue near Huntsville. Is that a true story? That's a true story, yeah. He lives next door. And uh, called me over one day and said, Larry, how tall are you? I'm six foot four. He's about the same size as Sam Houston. He says, you look, look like him. Let me go out and buy an 1860 long coat and make you look like Sam. I want to take a picture and... And modeled the statue after after it. So I uh, I got the suit on and everything, and it was a really big tie and all the rest of it. And I had a cane. The toughest thing about that job was he took about fifty pictures. But the toughest thing was looking wise. It's not easy to look wise <laughs> like Sam was. But I loved Sam, and uh, I looked wise. And he, he used my picture. To, to, to the statue, which is up there. And every time my kids pass, some husband say, hi, Dad. <laughs> well, that's Larry Miggins, who was the basis for David Attic's statue at Sam Houston and who owns Warren Spahn and also was a former Houston buff and St. Louis Cardinal. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for joining us. For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net.